As part of our series uh, that Tom started back at the beginning of the year, we're looking at emotional faith. Emotional faith is the, is the series. So if you have a Bible with you or a Bible app, please go ahead and turn to Psalm 116. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. And I, I also have to thank Ted for uh, letting me know I had to come up and start the service because I think I would have stayed there all morning. That was just a nice, peaceful spot for me to be in. So, This is uh, Psalm 116. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, he saves me. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I trusted in the Lord when I said, I am greatly afflicted. In my alarm, I said, everyone is a liar. What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Truly, I am your servant, Lord. I serve you just as my mother did. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice the thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, Jerusalem, praise the Lord. This is God's word. Amen. I want to start this morning with a story that might have been making the rounds by now because it is Super Bowl Sunday, but I'm going to start here. There once was a man whose number one goal in life was to see his favorite team play in the Super Bowl. His number one goal, and finally after many, many years it happened, his Cincinnati Bengals made it to the big game. So he decides that no matter what, he's going. No matter what it costs and how expensive those tickets are. He will stop at nothing to get one. So he cashes out his savings and takes out a new mortgage on the house and buys one ticket up in the nosebleeds of the stadium. And he gets to the game and he sits down and he thinks to, him, to himself, you know, this is really great that I'm here. This is a dream come true and yet I can't really see that much. As he looks around the stadium, he notices every single seat is taken except for one, right on the 50-yard line, one open seat. 
And as the game starts, he notices that seat is still empty. So he says to himself, I got I to gotta go for it. I got to go for it. I have to take the chance. And he heads down to the seat, and he notices an older gentleman sitting there right next to the open seat. And he asks the guy, he says, excuse me, sir, is someone sitting here? And the man replies, well, <clears throat> you know, that, that this seat right here belonged to my wife. And for 40 years, we have gone to every Super Bowl together. But sadly, she died just last week. And the man, kind of shocked, he replies, I am so sorry to hear that. What about your family and friends? Do you have family and friends that could join you here today? And the elderly gentleman replies, they're all at the funeral. <laughs> I'm sorry. Bad joke. Bad pastor's joke. In fact, I cringed even as I was writing that. <laughs> but I do think, I do think this story says something very true about how we as a society handle grief. Or maybe more importantly, how we don't handle grief. Right? Maybe how we avoid it. How we try to run from it sometimes. Today we are... Continuing that series, as I said, that Pastor Tom started called Emotional Faith, and we are talking about grief. Grief. It has been said that grief is the presence of absence. The presence of absence. An absence that you can feel, right? An absence that weighs you down, almost as if you're carrying something heavy around with you all the time. If you've been in a, in a season of of intense grief, you know what I'm talking about, right? You can relate to that. The presence of absence. And as I mentioned, if there's one thing that we as American Christians do best, it's avoid our feelings, isn't it? And this has big implications, I think, because I wonder whether we have alienated the very people God wants in this house because we have failed to recognize difficult feelings and experiences. And you might see that in other churches around the country, right? There's a lot of space for joy. There's a lot of space for gratitude. There's not a lot of space for grief. There's not a lot of space for lament and for sadness and for despair and for anxiety. Sometimes our churches are not safe places for those things. People feel like they have to hide them. And I think that's a travesty. It's an absolute travesty. It goes against everything that the scripture cries out to us about. We so often run from our feelings, flee from them, deny them, ignore them, hide behind certain passages of scripture, throw ourselves into work or sports or busyness, whatever it may be, in part to keep ourselves from feeling stuff. Right? Men, we are experts at this, aren't we? I'm an expert at this. You know, I, I know I'm supposed to be like this very emotionally aware guy because I'm a pastor chaplain type, you know? But I am an expert at burying my feelings in a tub of mint chocolate chip ice cream just as well as anyone. 
rather than actually feeling the stuff that I'm experiencing in this life. See, Scripture tells us, the genius of Scripture is that Scripture tells us that when we do this, we're missing something. We're missing something important about what it means to be a human being. See, one thing Scripture does not do is avoid real emotions. If you read the Psalms, you, you get a, a sense of that very quickly. The Psalms are a good example. This is, the Psalms are the, the prayer book of the Bible, right? The prayer book of the Bible. And our psalm today is really a psalm of thanksgiving, but it traces the whole process from intense fear and grief and brokenness, traces that whole process to the realization that God has come through and saved this person, right? So there's this huge sense of relief in the psalmist's mind, a huge sense of relief. And he praises Yahweh for rescuing him. See, there are moments in life wherein we praise God from the depths of our being because something terrible was averted, right? And we have a, an intense feeling of relief. In those moments, maybe it might be a, a diagnosis that actually wasn't as dire as we initially thought, or it was that we escaped some kind of certain doom, right? Those moments are beautiful, and that's really what Psalm 116 is getting at here. Getting into this deep sense of grief and finding a way out because of the Lord. Okay. I remember uh, driving uh, from La Crosse to Milwaukee when I was in my early 20s, and I had two of my best friends with me, and I had, we had borrowed my mom's white minivan. It was pretty cool, right? Three guys in their 20s in a white minivan cruising down. That's the high life right there. That was pretty sweet. We had our own car. So we're driving down the highway, and I was driving, and I was going maybe 80 on the highway, and I was coming up over this hill. And, and as I came up over the hill, and I got to the top, on the highway I realized all the traffic in front of us was at a standstill. It was, it was completely stopped. It looked like a parking lot. And I slammed on the brakes. And I kid you not, the car skid all the way down the, the hill. And we were skidding right toward this group of cars. And the guy who was uh, at a standstill in front of us, he had the wherewithal to look in his rearview mirror and realize what was happening. And so he pulled his car to the side of the road, and I skid right into his spot, just right next to him. And I turned and looked at him. My jaw hit the floor. He turned and looked at me. His jaw hit the floor. And in that moment, I thanked God in a way that was beyond words. Right? That's what Psalm 116 is getting at here. We feel like all is lost and somehow you make it all alive. You make it out alive. Somehow you are spared, somehow you are rescued, somehow you are saved. But scripture recognizes that life isn't always like that. Is it? Life is not always like that. Sometimes things happen that are so awful there is no amount of sugarcoating that can make it right. There's no amount of theologizing. There's no amount of scripture that can make it right. 
And Scripture itself recognizes this. There are two psalms in particular that end on near total despair. Have you read these before? Psalm 39 and Psalm 88. They end with darkness and hopelessness. See, the Bible is not naive about our experience as human beings. There are moments, sometimes a day, sometimes maybe for weeks, sometimes for years, that feel hopeless. We might lose someone, and the grief never stops. It just might change its form over time, but it doesn't mean it stops. And as you're grieving, you might hear little messages here or there about getting over it or moving on. Or maybe someone places some arbitrary time frame on your grief. Like, if you're still grieving after six months like this, there's something wrong. You know. One of the beautiful things about Scripture is that God takes our human experience seriously. God takes it seriously. He will not mock us by pretending that we don't experience debilitating grief that feels as though it will never end. I love what Derek Kidner says. Kidner was an Old Testament scholar, and he wrote this excellent commentary on the book of Psalms. And he writes this about these two prayers in the Bible, Psalm 39 and 88, and why they're there. He writes this. The very presence of these prayers in Scripture are a witness to God's understanding. He knows how men and women speak when they are desperate. Right? God knows how we speak when we are desperate. And the very presence of psalms in the Bible that are mostly psalms of lament remind us of how near to the brokenhearted he actually is. This God does not tiptoe around difficult, painful stuff. He names it. And we need to name it as well. So I want to talk about one verse in the psalm today. Just one verse. And that's uh, verse 15. It says this. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Now, this is a strange verse. Right? It sounds kind of strange at first. But that same word in the Hebrew that is translated in the NIV as precious can also be translated as costly. So costly in the sight of the Lord are the deaths of his faithful servants. Now, what does that mean? I want to suggest that it costs God something when people die. That when we lose someone and we grieve and our hearts are broken, actually that costs God. And it hurts his heart. And I think what the psalmist is saying here is something really profound and something we need to hear, and that's this. God grieves. God grieves. And I've heard teachers say, I've heard pastors say, I've heard faithful Christians say, Something like this, but aren't his servants just going to heaven to be with him when they die? And won't he 
Won't we all just be raised in the end and it's all going to be glory? And so what's the big deal? Don't tell God that. Don't tell God that. Despite the fact that every tear will be wiped away, despite the fact that everything will be remade, despite the fact that sorrow will become a thing of the past, God still grieves. God still grieves. Because God never ignores reality, and God never takes our human experience lightly. We, we sometimes do both of those, don't we? We often ignore reality, and we often don't even take our own experience seriously. My aunt, who's a couple years younger than my dad, died last week. And it was fairly sudden. It was maybe over the course of a week. And all of a sudden, she was gone. And the one thing I can say about my aunt is that she was the life of the party. She really was. Uh, in fact, when I went to her funeral on Wednesday, my mom said to me, she said, we were driving back, and she said, you know, it's strange. The first person I looked for was Aunt Beulah, right? Because at these kinds of family gatherings, she was always at the center. She was always directing people. She was always greeting you with that big, warm smile. You knew she was going to be there. That's where the action was, Right? And she mentioned how strange it was to enter that space and to see that Aunt Beulah was now in the casket. You know, motionless, lifeless, a faithful daughter of Yahweh. And believe me, I know that in some way she is in the presence of Jesus. I know that intellectually, right? I can talk about that theologically, that she is with the Lord, that she is in glory, and at the same time, that faith cannot fill the void that she leaves. Because grief is the presence of absence. She's not here anymore, and that hurts. Right? That hurts. It was good that she was here. It was good that she was here. And the Psalms tell us that God saw her presence on this earth as good. And God grieves that she is no longer on this earth. See, God takes the time to grieve. One of my favorite poems of all time is a piece by Edna St. Vincent Millay, the American poet, died in the late 40s or early 50s. And this is from her poem, Dirge Without Music, written about the loss of a loved one. And at the end of that poem, she writes this. More precious was the light in your eyes than all the roses in the world. Down, down, down into the darkness of the grave. Gently they go, the beautiful, the tender, the kind. Quietly they go, the intelligent, the witty, the brave. I know, but I do not approve. And I am not resigned. Now what is she saying here? Those flowers around the casket, all the roses in the world, could never equal what the light in your eyes meant to me. Right? She is naming 
the presence of absence. Her loved one is gone, and she is not okay with it. She's not okay with it, right? And that is how God views the death of his people. He is not okay with it. And I want to say that a refusal to grieve is not the same as trusting God. See, we grieve because we trust God. We grieve because we trust God. We can allow ourselves to feel the whole weight of real grief because we know he is with us in it. He is with us in it, and he will not abandon us even though it feels like he has. We trust the God who grieves. And the gospel tells us that that is the same God who is actually doing something about death and grief. He's actually doing something about it to put it to the end forever, to eliminate it. And he grieves with us. See, in Jesus Christ, God put his money where his mouth is, didn't he? And it might even be be better to say this. In Jesus, God puts his heart where his people are. And that's a very vulnerable heart, and his heart breaks, right? We see that on the cross, how much it cost him to love us. God had a choice. He could either let us go in our own way to destruction, or he could come to be with us with a a vulnerable and a breakable heart and throw himself fully into our presence and save us, and he chose the second one. He loved us and he knew it would hurt. That's the kind of God we have. He loved us and he knew it would hurt. And not just once on the cross, but every single day, it costs him. And yet he chooses us. He chooses us. And he said, I will be with you no matter what. If you remember nothing else from my ramblings today... (laughs) Please remember this. Take the time to grieve when you have to grieve. Take that time. I don't know what has happened in your life, but I know that every single one of you, from the youngest to the oldest, has felt the pain of living. So I want to invite you to honor yourself by recognizing that pain and to actually feeling it. And I think in our society today, that is one of the most Christian things that you can do. Is to actually allow yourself to grieve. God does. God feels grief. There was a, um, a teacher. She's actually a creative writing teacher. Her name was Hilary Stanton Zunin. And she was an expert on the effects of grief on children. And she says this about love and grief. She says, The risk of love is loss, and the price of loss is grief. But the pain of grief is only a shadow when compared with the pain of never risking love. Right? See, the, the other side of love is grief, isn't it? 
If we choose to love, if we risk love, we know there's a possibility that our hearts can be broken. C.S. Lewis says, if you don't want your heart to be broken, don't give it to anyone, not even a pet. Right? Remember that? Because the risk of love is loss, isn't it? God knew that if he loved us, it would hurt. And he jumped in fully as a human being on that cross. And you know, remember that great moment in Matthew 27? That stunning moment where Jesus, that young rabbi, is hanging on the cross and it says about him, it says that about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The presence of absence. There's grief on the cross. And, you know, it strikes me how often I hear this from people in the hospital. Where are you, God? Why have you abandoned me? What's going on? I was a good Christian all of my life. Where are you now? And it's almost as if God knew that we would need a clear picture of his grieving to know that he was actually truly with us. Right? That this isn't just a game of words. God actually became and is fully human and with us in our real world. You know, when I think of, of God becoming man, becoming a human being and jumping in fully to be with us, I think of this, this moment in Braveheart. Do you guys remember Braveheart? It's almost you know, 30 years old now or something. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. I must have watched it like 30 times. Braveheart. There's this moment where, do you remember the crazy Irish guy? He's the only, I can say that because I'm also a crazy Irish guy. But there's this moment where this, this Irishman, he comes to fight with William Wallace and the Scotsman against the English. Not because he loves Scotland, but because he just hates the English. Right? So the Irishman comes, and before one of the big battles, he says this, and I'll give you my Irish accent here. He says this, well, we didn't get all dressed up for nothing, right? Right before the battle, we didn't get all dressed up for nothing. And I think of Jesus in that moment, right? He did not become a human being for nothing. He became a human being to actually be with us in our real feelings, in our real pain, in our real grief, and to heal it. Right. Now, us Lutherans, we aren't always good at recognizing how near and close to us this Jesus is, but you might have to ask a Pentecostal about that. Pentecostals can teach us about that. The Spirit is here, right? You can talk to him. You can go to him. You can cling to him. You can get close to him because he is closer to you than you are to yourself. He is fully human and he is fully with us right here, right now. He is not some distant deity. He is fully and deeply in the midst of all of this. He's right here. Our grief is his grief. So let yourself feel it. Let yourself feel that grief when you need to. He suffered and he died and he rose and he ascended to bring us life that we cannot lose. He lost it all for us. So know this today. God and Jesus Christ knows 
and feels and walks with you in your grief. Don't take that lightly. He is with you in your grief. Maybe one of the ways that we can trust him today is by letting ourselves actually feel that grief. Right? So let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that you are with us in all the real experience of this life. And Lord, I want to recognize that at your table, on that last supper, you gave your broken body to your disciples and you poured out the wine into their cups as a firm recognition that you do not run away from the scary stuff in human experience, but you are with us in it. You are with us in it. And so, Lord, as we break this bread and pour out this wine today, 2,000 years later, we recognize that you are just as near to us as you were to those disciples around that table.